the Holy Gospel according to Luke chapter 24. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Now, on that same day when Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene, two disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. It is now the third Sunday in the church's Easter season where in our Gospel reading for today we have not yet gotten beyond the first Sunday in the church's Easter season. Easter Sunday, it turns out, is too big a deal to be dealt with in one week. Truth be told, of course, three weeks isn't enough either. I mean, we will not ever in our lifetimes completely understand or deal with Easter, which as it turns out is just fine, because dealing completely with Easter is what forever is for. Until forever, we are called and empowered to journey the journey of our lives on the pathway of the new normal that Easter 
gives us. That being the new norm in which it is the power of faith, not fear, love, not hate, and life, not death, that defines the path we walk on because it is the great and final Easter that we're walking toward. In our Gospel reading for today, on the other hand, even though it is the very first Easter, we meet two disciples who are on a path which is not yet the path of Easter's new normal, but is rather still that old and all too normal in this world path where it is fear that leads us and hate that defeats us and death which convinces us that its word is the last word for us. The specific two who are on that away from Easter path are a man named Cleopas and another person who is unnamed and whom some speculate is Cleopas's wife, which could be true. Although this being Luke's gospel, the gospel in which women play a larger role than all the rest of them combined, my hunch is that if it was Cleopas's wife, first of all, Luke would have said that. And second of all, he would have pointed out that she had a name. So I've always thought it more likely that the reason this second person isn't named is because Luke, writing sometime later, actually didn't know it. And his Wi-Fi was down, so he couldn't Google it. In any case, what Luke does tell us is that Cleopas and this other person had been followers of Jesus, had, in other words, come to believe in Jesus, had set their hopes on Jesus and apparently had even gone to Jerusalem with Jesus only when they got there. Then to see a week like they'd never seen before when everything they'd hoped for in the name of Jesus was nailed to a cross to die with Jesus. And Friday night, by the way, nobody had called it Good Friday yet. Friday night came and went. And then Saturday and Saturday night came and went. And then the third day came, bringing crazy rumors of angels telling fairy tales. And Cleopas and whoever it was he was with went. Went where? To a small village called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem, Luke says. Went why? Luke doesn't say. All Luke does say is that as they walked, they, quote, were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Although that's not quite literally true, right? Because they actually weren't literally talking about all that had happened. Because remember, it's Easter Sunday. And they had hold, been told of angels saying Easter. But one thing they weren't talking about was Easter. What they were talking about, rather, was how it had all gone wrong. And how the new normal they were just going to have to deal with somehow was the painfully numbed normal of grief to grieve and hope shattered. That not Easter, is what they're talking about as they walk on that road to Emmaus on Easter Sunday afternoon. And that is when, 
in a variation of a theme we see now for the third week in a row, that as they were leaving Easter and hope behind them is when Easter and hope came down that road to find them, to find them in the person of the risen Christ, whom they now saw with their own eyes walking up to them, but whom they didn't recognize as him because, says Luke, quote, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. There is a missing something in that sentence that stares up at me like an elephant on the page. Grammar geeks, of course, have already noticed this sentence is written in the passive voice. Passive meaning that the subjects of this sentence weren't actors doing something, but were rather acted upon by something, as in their eyes were kept from recognizing. And the thing that was doing the keeping was... Now you see, there's the elephant. Luke doesn't say. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. By what do you suppose? By him? Was he disguised somehow? Covering his face somehow? Not wanting to be recognized for some reason? It's possible, I suppose. Or was it the fact that resurrected bodies, like his now and what he says, ours one day, resurrected bodies are the bodies of the very same person as the one who died, but they aren't entire, exactly the very same body as the one the person died with. As Paul puts it elsewhere, at that time, the perishable will put on imperishability, and the mortal will put on immortality. That, I think, could surely be part of what's going on here. But I also think what's going on here, and maybe even most of what's going on here, is that we humans, pretty much all of us, it seems to me, uh, have a tremendous knack for not seeing things that we weren't expecting to see. Even to the point of not recognizing people we know when we weren't looking to see them, especially and most often when, when this isn't the context in which we would normally see them, which was absolutely the case in this text where the context was death. And everybody knows that the dead are buried, never to be seen again. And so for one or more of those reasons, they, they didn't recognize him when he caught up to them and he said, what, what, what were you just talking about? And that's when the one uh, with a name that Luke does know, Cleopas, says, seriously? You're coming from Jerusalem like we were and you don't know the things that happened there this weekend? And of course he did know. He knew absolutely everything that had happened in Jerusalem this weekend, including what had happened before dawn that very morning. But he wanted their take, what they thought they knew had happened. So what things, he asked them, at which point, and this is priceless, I mean, you just have to enjoy this because you can't make this stuff up. At this point, on Easter Sunday afternoon, Cleopas shared the bad news about Jesus with the risen from the dead Jesus. He was like nobody ever, he said. A prophet, mighty in word and deed, mighty with godly mightiness that we could all see, he said. And then he paused, and he sighed, and they killed him, he said. 
Then he paused a longer pause and sighed, sighed a deeper sigh before saying, surely one of the saddest sentences there is for a person to find herself saying, we had hoped, he said, that he was the one. The one who would at last ransom Israel, do what needed to be done, pay what needed to be paid, defeat what needed to be defeated to set us free. We had hoped, Cleopas said, that he was that one. What defines the saddest part of the sadness of that sentence, of course, is the tense. We had hoped, i.e., we don't anymore. Hope, of course, is one of the most powerful things there is. It is documented that humans can get through incredibly difficult things when they are powered by it. Hopelessness, on the other hand, like its twin, despair, is one of the most powerfully devastating things there is, making anything we're going through seem like too much to bear. And despair feels even devastatingly stronger when it comes crashing down from the high heights of our highest hopes, which we all know, which is why we all, at one time or another, have said to someone or said to ourselves, what? Don't get your hopes up. These two on this road with this one they didn't recognize had gotten their hopes up. They'd gotten their hopes up higher than they'd ever been their whole lives, and their hopes weren't just dashed. Their hopes were crucified. And now the heaviness in his heart was so heavy that Cleopas honestly thought it just might kill him. He felt like he had to keep reminding himself to breathe. And then the stranger said to them words that on the page look harsh, but they actually weren't so harsh, they actually were rather so love. Love which wanted them to know that the hurt they were hurting with right now and the hopelessness they thought was almost killing them right now had in fact been Eastered to death by the one and only one whose death by dying could bring life back to the dead and the dying. Oh, how foolish you are, he said. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then do you hear what he did next? He led them, and I'm telling you, no holds barred, this was the best Bible study ever. As says Luke, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted the things about himself as in all the scriptures. And as he did, their hearts that had been heavied began to burn within them. And what they began to burn with was that powerful combination of faith and hope and love that is so powerful that there's only one word for it, and that word is Easter. I'd always read in the past this text, and, and I've always thought, I wish Luke would have given some details about this Bible study, so maybe I could have repeated it sometime, you know, thrown it up on PowerPoint or something. Like the specific verses in the Old Testament that Jesus did tell these two were in fact pointing to him. 
36 years of preaching, and it wasn't until this week that it occurred to me. I mean, talk about foolish and slow of heart to believe. Listen again, see if you can hear it. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Luke actually and explicitly did way better than telling us the particular verse or the particular passage here or there in the Old Testament that Jesus said was pointing to him, like, you know, maybe Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. He told them, rather, that it all, the entire story, every sentence in its own way, pointed to him. Either by pointing to this sin-broken world's damned need, for him, or by pointing with the prophet's faithful promises of the coming of him, which they had never seen before. Because why? Not because it wasn't right there to be seen, but rather because, again, what was right there to be seen wasn't seen because it wasn't what they were looking for. They had gotten it, hadn't gotten it because they were reading it all backwards. They wanted a Messiah to save his people, the Jews, from suffering, like the suffering they were doing now under Rome. But he now told them of a Messiah who would save them by suffering and doing so both at the hands of and for the saving love of both Jews and Romans. Seven miles, I'm guessing he joined him shortly after it was an hour and a half long Bible study, give or take. It flew by. They wished it would never end. And so when they reached their destination, the town of Emmaus, um, well, maybe because it was dusk, but what do you know? They started a service of holding evening prayer. Did you hear that? Stay with us, Lord, for it is evening, and the day is almost over. They sang. Well, they didn't actually sing. But now you know where that line from holding evening prayer comes from. It comes from this story, this Easter story, which in its own way, if you know this, makes it even more fun that we sing it at Glory Day and many other places during Lent while we're waiting for Easter. And he did stay. He went into the house with them. And he sat down at their table, except their table. Their table then became his table. As he then presided at the meal, he was the host of the meal. As Luke says, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and he recognized, they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. My goodness, wow, there is so much going on here, but I can count on no fingers uh, how many of you are interested in hearing me talk for an hour and a half. So if you could just give me a minute and a half, uh, give or take, uh, let me close with two observations. The first comes from N.T. Wright whom I'm paraphrasing here, but it's his basic thought, so I had to name him, in, in commenting on the fact that, in fact, it's the entire Old Testament story, not a verse here or there. It's the entire story that points to Jesus, even from the very beginning. I mean, did you hear what Peter said? He was destined before the beginning to be who he was. N.T. Wright makes that observation that Jesus is pointed to in the very beginning by saying something like this. In the first meal, 
ever mentioned in God's creation, Adam and Eve share a piece of fruit. And then what does it say? Their eyes are opened. And then they look at themselves and at each other. And they see their guilt and their shame and their sin. Now in Luke 24 comes the first meal mentioned in God's new creation, where it says that in receiving the bread, these twos, quote, eyes were opened, and they saw the risen from the dead Savior of sinners. A final thought. Ten of them, Peter and James and John and the others, saw him in the flesh and then believed and rejoiced. Thomas saw him in the flesh, then believed and worshipped. These two, on the other hand, saw him in the flesh and still didn't actually believe or see anything at all. And then, of course, there are us who, I mean, right, would give anything to see him in the flesh, to be strengthened, confirmed in our belief. Which all of a sudden leaves me with another possible explanation of the fact that the person on the road to Emmaus with Cleopas isn't named in this story. I'm wondering if that might actually be Luke's way of writing us into the story. That that person on the road to Emmaus with Cleopas isn't named because their name is your name. For in this story, you are reminded, indeed, I believe you're being promised, that the two things that were given to Cleopas, the things that set his heart afire with the flame of Easter faith and hope and love, are also given to you. The first promise, he comes to you. He does. In the word. The second promise, he comes to you. He does. In the blessing and the breaking of the bread. Stay with us, Lord, morning and evening. And open our hearts and our eyes and our all to you, and then to others for your sake. Amen.